there are uh, seasons that God causes acceleration to take place in our lives. And when, when it's that time to accelerate, we don't want anything slowing us down. Amen? Okay, so let's uh, take a look here today because today what I want to do is I want to be in this series by uh, uh, saying something that uh, I think that we all have in common. And then also I want to move to what I believe we all have in common. At the beginning of the series, I told you about the benefits of resetting. Now I want to talk about really why we reset and look at some things that we all have in common. This is what I believe that we all have in common. We all want to be known for something. Everybody wants to be known for something. And you may not uh, have given it any thought, or you may have thought about it a lot, but everybody wants to be known for something. And if someone asks you, what do you want to be known for? You would have to think of adjectives to describe what you want to be known for. And what I believe is uh, really important is that this particular question that I want to ask you this morning is that what do you want to be known for? Everybody wants to be known for something, but the question I want you to ponder is what is it that you want to be known for? And so in the spirit of transparency, what I'm going to do is I'm going to share with you what I want to be known for. And as I think about this, I'm asking you this question. I should answer it myself. And then after I answer that question, then we're going to go down the line and he's going to answer what he wants to be known. She, no, just kidding. <laughs> this is what I want to be known for. I want to be known for, uh, uh, for or as a, a man who had confidence and positively impacted people's lives. That's what I want to be known for. Now, when I think about that, uh, and I talk about confidence that positively impact people's lives, um, that, that's, that you, you will look and I look like I'm so confident. Uh, well, at least I think sometimes I, uh, I look like I'm, I'm confident. But you know what? It goes all the way back to, I told you a story of my uh, eighth grade when um, people began to, to talk about me. And uh, I grew up in my adolescent years insecure. And uh, it was not until I graduated from college that I began to get some relative confidence back. See, because they talked about me, and, and you know, when I grew up, I, you could, you could, I, could, I was the winner of the games that we played, and there was one uh, game that we played, was called Hide and Seek, and some of you may know that game, and so we played this game, Hide and Seek, and, and so um, we would count, and then you would hide your face, and so if you don't know that game, let me, how many of you know that game? Would you say, uh-huh? Okay. And so uh, they would count, and as they would count, we would all run and hide, and people would run blocks. You know, all I would do was just go around telephone pole, and I would stand in the shadows of a pole. They would go looking all around. I'd go touch the base and say, safe. Now, as I grew up, I had broad shoulders, and so I was at a, in the cafeteria, and in the cafeteria, I was... Um, uh, waiting in line and people were looking at me from the back and they were like, man, that guy's built. And then I turned to the side and that was like shoop, straight up. And they began to laugh at me and I was so insecure. This is what I used to do. I never wore shorts. I would put on two pair of pants even in the summertime to look bigger. You know those insulated shirts that they wear? You know, they don't have them like they used to, but they had like that, that, that cotton on the inside of it pleated. <laughs> I, I put that on even in the wintertime so that I could look like. And uh, so I, was, I grew up uh, and I was really insecure. And so I want to be known as a confident 
person who positively impact the lives of other people uh, because they negatively impact my life for many, many years. And so it's, I still could even hear that laughter. But you know what? I go back to my hometown and I look at those people that were laughing at me and I go, ooh, look what the Lord didn't do. And I just walk around, look at me now. Hey, ho. So that's what I want to be known as. <laughs> and so what I really want to ask you, I really want to ask you several things this morning, uh, but what about you? That's what I want to be known as, but what about you? What do you want to be known for? What do you want to be known for? And more importantly is that what do you do when you do not measure up? When you don't measure up to what you want to be known for, but more importantly, not only do you, what do you do when you don't measure up? But what do you do when you don't measure up to you? What do you do? How do you handle that? Well, most of you are, can relate to what I'm about to say because uh, most of you do what I do when you don't measure up, when you don't measure up to you. Most of you, uh, uh, we're, we're kind of like twins in that sense because when we don't measure up and when we don't measure up to what we expect as well, what we do is we pretend. We pretend, and you know what happens is that when you pretend, you make excuses and you try to manage your image. When you pretend, you're, you make excuses to, to, and you try to manage your image so that you can appear to measure up. And when I think about that, uh, something is very, very interesting to me, and that is that there is a gap that exists because if you do not measure up to what people expect of you, and you know that, then you start pretending to try to close the gap. And the reason is because this is a true statement that generally people will like you based on what they do not know about you. People will like you based on what they do not know about you. And so uh, if we recognize that, then uh, we then now uh, begin to pretend, we begin to uh, make excuses or we begin to try to manage our own image. And do you know what happens is that when you pretend, you stop growing. And thinking about that and actually just saying that, what happens is that we get older, but we don't get better. And so uh, there's an image that we live that is not consistent with who we are or are to be. And then we begin to live in a pretending environment or a fantasy world and we do not grow we get older but we do not grow and and, and I, I like to say it like this that when something becomes older it becomes finer and, and and so what what I recognize then is that pastors are the worst at, at this let me just give a shake can I talk a little bit about us me somebody say yeah I heard you out there so, so, so pastors are the worst at, at, at pretending, and, uh, and I'll share with you exactly what I mean. You know, it's like this. I want you to be able to relate to this. If you are an older sibling and you have younger uh, brothers and sisters, what you want is for them to think the best of you. They, you, want to, you. You want them to think about you. You want them to think and, and know that, man, my older brother and uh, sister, got it, had, they've got it together. And you want them to look upon you favorably. And so as a result of that, that you would pretend in many ways so that you can measure up to what they believe about you. Parents, 
uh, if you're a parent, you can relate to this because many times a parent will um, be on their, uh, on their best behavior, hopefully, with, with the children around. Because you want your child to look up to you. You want your child to respect you. And so as a result of that, uh, as a parent, you're kind of like on your best behave, behavior. And I, and I know that you can identify with this because uh, as you look, as your children look at you and, and you want them to be um, respectful of you, that you want them to honor you, then you are on all the time you're in front of them. And so as parents, then, you can, you, you can identify with what I'm saying because so, so, so if there's a gap between who they think you are and who you really are, you'll pretend to try to close that gap. I'll give you a perfect example is that if I, as a pastor, and I know parents, you can relate to this as a pastor, if I uh, came this morning and I said that, welcome to the Champion Center, I'm so thrilled today, we are going to begin a series on living a life that's pleasing to God. But first, before we start that series, I want to thank the leadership of the church who uh, came last night and uh, got me out of the parking lot. I, I had one too many, and I couldn't make it to my car, but they got me out this morning, and I'm so thrilled that they did and uh, brought me home. And so now let's talk about part one of living a life that's pleasing to God. You wouldn't want to hear that, would you? Okay, let me, let me give you another one. If I, if I said to you, I said to you that, wow, you know, uh, this morning we are going to do a series on having a great marriage. And, and I want to thank Gwen. Last night she told me she was going to give me one more last chance. Now let's talk about having a great marriage. You wouldn't want to hear that, would you? And so what you, what you recognize then is that the, the pressure, <laughs> whenever my faith, Whenever my marriage, whenever my uh, life veers from what I present to you, there is a gap that exists. And in that gap, we tend. And, 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 and the reality of it is that you really want me to pretend. Let me just, let me just get it. Stay with me. See, because you, don't, you want me to be the person that you think I am which causes you to be a person that will sit, listen, and receive. And we'll be honest about that. You don't want me to be pulled out of the parking lot because I had too many. Let the church say amen. amen. Okay, so I just wanted to make sure you guys are with me. So as a result of that, then what we recognize is that there, uh, there's a lot of pressure. Um, and we all have it. You have that same pressure. Um, you have it in your home. You have it on your job that pressure to pretend or to close the gap that exists between who you are and who others want you to be. I've talked enough about me. Let me talk about you now. What is the best place where people can come and pretend? The church. Because no matter what conversations you had this morning, no matter what, what happened last night, no matter how in the minivan driving up this morning, that, that, that there were words of disagreement and division, man, you husband and wives look amazing together. I mean, you look so perfect. You look like, you, and even if you're not holding hands, you still look good sitting next to each other. We come and we pretend that our lives are all together. We come and we pretend 
that there is nothing truly that we need. And that gap that exists, that rather than, I want to challenge you this morning, of trying to pretend to close the gap, that we make a decision that we are going to close the gap, not for what others think about us, but what God has created us to be. In the book of Philippians, um, chapter 3, let me just say this. You know what I'm talking about, right? Okay, so you're quiet. If Alexa could say all those conversations that occurred in your house. (laughs) Alexa, repeat what happened over the last week. (laughs) You know what happened is that what people know about you, they may not like you as well as they do simply because people like you based on what they do not know about you. And so what we try to do is we try to pretend so that people will like us. Philippians chapter 3, so we can, we can move. We're going to close the gap. We can close the gap how? By, by resetting our thoughts, by resetting our words, by resetting our actions, and then also by moving closer. Because we recognize that when you pretend, you do not grow. You may get older, but you do not grow, and you become... You, you, you don't become the fine person that God created you to be. You know what I love about it is that Gwen and I have been married for 34 years, and man, we just kind of flow together. Um, now, not that, not that she doesn't tell me what I need to do. Oh, yeah, she, she tells me what I need to do. Yes, she does. <clears throat> but in 34 years, it's kind of like a golf swing where when, if you've ever played golf and you hit the ball and you hit it in that sweet spot, it's like, oh, we, we don't struggle with things now. You know, I know what to challenge her on and what not to challenge her on. And we, we get an opportunity to challenge each other to grow. And she says things uh, uh, to me to help me grow. And I say things, you know why? It's because we finally got into a place where we realized that we want the best for one another. And it's not a competition. It's not to, to hurt someone. It's to make us grow and not be pretenders so that we can be fine. And I'm telling you, I'm going to be an old man that's fine. It's fine. Notice I didn't say that other thing. All right. Philippians chapter 3, verse 12. Let's get there and let's begin to look at this. Because would you just say this with me? God is preparing me for what he already has prepared for me. Say it one more time. God is preparing me for what he already has prepared for me. All right, let's read Philippians chapter 3, verse 12. Let's read it together like we know it is a word of his power. Now, not that I have already obtained all this, or have already arrived at my goal, I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. And so it says, uh, Paul, I love this. He says that, you know what? Uh, I, 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 I haven't arrived. I'm not all that. I, I'm not what, uh, what I ultimately will become. I have not reached my goal. So I'm not going to pretend What I'm going to do is recognize that there is a gap between who I am now and what God has laid hold of me to become. And I am going to press toward that goal. I am going to press on. And I love the word press because the word press in the Greek is the word dioko. It's a beautiful word and it means to seek after, to acquire. 
And so Paul is saying that there is a goal that I'm moving toward and I'm going to seek after to acquire it. How do you acquire it? Well, we know in the natural that the way we press is to exert physical force consistently upon an object or something to move closer to where we desire to be. And so Paul says that I have not arrived. I am not all of that yet. There is a goal that I'm moving toward. And so to get there, I am going to have to press, to press. Would you say that word with me, press? Would you say press on? Mmm, my God, press, press. And so in pressing, what you are doing is that you are allowing God, because he said that I'm going to go after the thing that I, to acquire what I desire. And so he is pressing on. He's pressing for the very thing that God has prepared for him. And, that, and that's what he's talking about. And so you, you know that if there is a place where you are in life right now, if, in your relationship, that uh, you're, you're, you're going to have to, you're going to have to press financially. How many of you know that uh, if there, you want some things to change about your life, that you may have to do some things differently to accomplish the very thing that you want to? Why? Because the Bible says that at harvest season, boundaries are rearranged and limitations are moved. And so we recognize then that in harvest time, I have got to move toward the very thing. And, 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 and there's an overflowing that takes place. So it doesn't look like it's harvest, but it is. And that's why that pressing on is so critical, is so important as we prepare to move forward. And so uh, say it one more time with me. God is preparing me for what he already has prepared for me. Now, when Jesus was here on the earth and Jesus began to uh, um, get his disciples and uh, ask them to follow him, in Matthew 9, he said to Peter, he says, Peter, follow me. And he didn't say, follow me and I'll figure out what I want you to be. But he says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. When God called uh, Abraham to, f to follow him, when God called uh, David to follow him, when God chose Elisha, he already knew what he had prepared for them and what he wanted them to do. The Bible tells us in Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5, it says it like this. He says, for I knew you in your mother's womb, and I ordained you to what you should be. And then we, we see in Psalm 139 that he talks about that we have been fearfully and wonderfully made. We are a masterpiece. And by being a masterpiece, what God to be fearfully and wonderfully made a masterpiece, and he gives it a picture but it also shows us that it is, a, it is a, a, a word of a seamstress that is tailor making you into who God desires you to be. And the amazing thing is that, you know, when you try to wear, look, look if, if, if I try to wear someone else's stuff and, and, and you know, and I, can't, I can't wear a guy's pants that's a 30 in the waist. Just can't do it because I'm not a 30. I'm a 28. Father, forgive me. So, but when something's tailor-made for you, it fits good. And it looks good on you. And so what we recognize then is that God decided who you want, what he wanted you to be. And God decided who, you, who he wanted you to become. Who you, who he, what he wanted you to do. 
And he tailor-made you specifically for that. He tailor-made you specifically for that. Hey, can I drop some knowledge on you today? Uh, no? Okay. Can I drop some knowledge on you today? Okay, so let me just kind of share this. Because this particular passage is an amazing uh, uh, passage when it talks about that we have been fearfully and wonderfully made and how marvelous we are and how complex that God has designed us. It is so critical to understand the vastness of God and how he has created you. And the reason is that all of us have a different assignment, but all of us were conceived in the same way. See, what happened is that one cell from your mother found one cell from your father and a half of the cell of, uh, of that cell from your mother carried her DNA. One half of the cell from your father carried his DNA. And this, these cells, this cell came together and created one cell that produced 23 chromosomes. And you know what? They started building a brand new DNA. But the amazing thing as I began to study that over the last couple of weeks is that one cell in your body, one simple cell in your body has three billion characters, three billion characters in one cell. And so notice this, that God has designed you so complex and meticulously that in one of your cells, it's a three billion character that he's put together. And do you know what? If you tried to read uh, one character per second, it would take you 96 years to read how God has defined you and what he wants you to be. That's amazing. But the most beautiful thing about it is you don't have one cell. You have 75 trillion cells in your body. And from the moment that I told you you had 75 trillion cells, 96,000 of those cells died. But the good thing about that is 96,000 new cells replaced them. And God has created us in such a unique way that our bodies were designed to heal themselves. In seven years, every cell that you have is replaced with a new cell. And oh, and if we'll just, oh my God, how marvelous. And that's why the psalmist says that I will praise you. I will exalt you. I will declare your glory because you have made me marvelously complex. And you know what? Out of that praise, out of that worship, what happens is that you become like a Paul. You begin to press. Why? It's because he inhabits the praises of his people. And in the presence of God, that yokes have to be destroyed. Burdens have to be removed. And so as you worship, and the Bible says that you silence the enemy. So there is a hidden weapon in your worship. As you lift your hands and magnify your great, great father. As you begin to magnify great God, as you begin to declare who he is, glory to God, what happens is that, man, the enemy starts getting confused. And just like it was in Jehoshaphat's day, they'll start killing each other rather than messing with you. There is a weapon that God has given us. And as we worship, as we praise him, we begin to draw near to him. He draws near to us and closes the, the gap where we don't have to pretend and that weapons of the enemy are destroyed. So Paul says that I haven't uh, obtained yet, but I press toward the mark of the higher calling and lay hold of that which Christ laid hold of for me. Now, let's look in the book of Luke chapter 22, verse 31, because see, the enemy is not just going to let you easily do that. He doesn't want you to close the gap. 
He wants you to keep pretending. He wants you to see the, the vastness of your separation. Although he is with you, he's always with you, and he never leaves you, nor does he forsake you. And so in Luke chapter 22, verse 31 and 32, Luke chapter 22, verse 31 and 32, let's see what happens and why it's so critical that we uh, make a decision that we're going to draw near and, and close the gap because there are some things you can't do by yourself. Just like Shama couldn't do it by himself. Let's read it together now. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon you know it's something when God called your name twice, huh? You know, you know what it's like when you were growing up and your mother called your name? Now, they may, I don't have a middle name, uh, but if, 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 you're, if, if you have a middle name, when you got in trouble, they didn't just call your first name. Like, like my brother, my brother's name is James, his middle name is Edward, he has a middle name. Graham. See, when my mama called me, I wasn't sure if I was in trouble or not because so she didn't call my middle name. But she did say, they called me Ladell. I didn't know. I thought that was my name until I got to the first grade and my teacher said Ladell. I didn't answer. It took me almost a week to know she was talking about me. But my mom would say, James Edward. Oh, we knew he was in trouble when she called his middle name. And notice what God says. Oh, she's trying to, trying to give him some insight, trying to tell him something, give him some instruction. I mean, you know, you got to pay attention there. Come on, let's start from the top and let's read it together now. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. My God. And let me just kind of give you this Greek word for the word fail. It is the word eklepo, E-K-L-I-E-P-O. And we get our word eclipse from it, eclipse. And so there is sun, there is light, there is clarity when there is light. But uh, you can see what you're supposed to do and you can see where you're supposed to go. But, but uh, Jesus says that the Satan has wanted to eclipse you. And he is saying that Satan wanted something to come between you and the light. And, and an eclipse, it, it, when it happens in the sky, darkness falls upon the earth. And you cannot see with clarity like you could see if the light was shining naturally. And he is saying that Satan has tried to blind you so that you could not see the light but you'll see your mistakes, you'll see your weaknesses, you'll see your past. He says that he wants to sift you, but I have prayed that your, what? Faith does not fail. Now, now, now the sift thing, I, I've got a revelation of the sift thing, or rather I've seen the sift thing work because, see, see when, when, when I grew up, my mom used to bake cakes. And when we just sifted, it's sent through a process that separates the fine qualities from the rough qualities. See, because you can't make a cake with all that rough stuff in it. And so what happens then is that uh, my mom used to put the flour in the sifter and she would turn it. And as she turned it, the fine flour would fall through. And she would turn it and the fine flour would fall through. And then it got to a place that the only thing that was in the sifter was stuff you couldn't use. It was like uh, rough stuff. It was like um, water and that had maybe come together with it, a moisture that had come together. 
but it wasn't fine enough to be used in the kind of cake that my mama cooked. And so she would throw it away and just use the fine. So notice this. The enemy, Jesus says, uh, that the, the, the enemy wanted, wants to sift you as wheat so that the fine stuff in your life would fall through and you won't be able to see it. And the only thing that you'll be able to see is the stuff that's messed up. You'll, you'll only be able to see the useless things. You'll only be able to see your past. You'll only be able to see the mistakes. You'll only be able to see your weaknesses. And then you'll look and think that your life needs to be thrown away. He says, but I have prayed that your faith do not eclipse or become darkened. See, faith is, 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 is substance of, it's real. It's things we, 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 we cannot see. The, 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 the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things we cannot see. It's so real. It's material stuff. He says that it looked like that things are useless in your life and that I'm not working, I have nothing to do with your life, and, and your life is worthless and it can be thrown away. He says, but I'm praying that your faith, I'm praying that the things you cannot see, I'm praying that the, the mistakes and the weaknesses that you've had in the past are not the things that are left in the sifter. When Jesus said that to Peter, he was telling him that the enemy wants to make your weaknesses magnified. And so what happens is that you act out of emotions, not out of faith. You act based on what you know, not based on what he is revealing. And the real key here, church, is that the Bible says that man shall not live by bread alone. Jesus said it when he was at his most stressful time in life. It was in the book uh, when, in the Gospels, when Jesus began to, was baptized by John the Baptist. And the Bible says that he went into the wilderness. And as he was in the wilderness, he began to become hung, hungry. And notice this. When he was physically desiring something, when he was physically hungry, at his weakest point, the enemy came and tempted him. And Jesus said that it is written that we should worship God and worship God alone. And he, and, he, and he tempted him. And Jesus says that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that what? Proceedeth out of the mouth of God. See, faith does not come by here. But faith comes by hearing and hearing and hearing the word of God. So the word of God is progressively revelation that comes to you. And if you only hear a word, but not the progressive word, you'll miss what God has for you.